This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. We have everything we need. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we talk about film series one movie at a time. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, James Hamrick. How you doing, man? Pretty good. Uh, I'm really excited to start talking about Star Wars. Um, I've been getting in all of my scary movie uh, quota, getting that filled up here that we're coming up to the end of October, and I've finished Hereditary, The Shining for the first time, and Rosemary ba- Rosemary's Baby for the first time, all in one week. So I'm ready to talk about lightsabers and, and lasers. That is a whole lot of nope. No, thank you. All right. And this is our second episode on The Last Jedi. It's going to be kind of finishing up some uh, some commentary we weren't able to uh, discuss on our last almost three hour episode, and uh, as well as dealing with some of the more uh, popular criticisms of the film and kind of just a wrap up for this entire seven-month journey we've done through the Star Wars saga. And to help us do that, uh, once again, we are joined by our friend Josh Masker. Welcome back, man. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be a very different episode from our, you know, a normal uh, discussion, you know, like our last our last episode was. Or actually, it won't be our last. Solo is going to come out in between the first Last Jedi discussion and the second one. Just we had a lot of snafu with our... Uh, <laughs> Our recording and release schedule, but that should be fixed after we finish Star Wars. Uh, so with this, we are just gonna, gonna, as I said, just pick up where our conversation left off, and I think we'll just dive right into it. But first, I want to ask you guys if you enjoy the show, to please go and rate and review us on iTunes. Leave us a nice glowing five star review, and you will have our love forever. And also like us on Facebook. So just just to move into some of the things that uh, we didn't get to cover last week, uh, I think we should just to kind of. Sure, though, I think we are trying to be fair and objective. I, I want to deal with a pretty big criticism that we weren't able to cover. Uh, we got to Haldo and Canto Bite. And that was the character of Rose. Um, I first, I just want to say that the, the group that has been, you know, the group that chased Kelly Murray Tran off of, you know, social media and has made it their life's purpose to make her miserable online, those are just absolute scumbags and really have no business in this fandom. Can we all agree on that? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Not saying, you know, if you didn't like her character, you're a bad person because I have with the character, but just there is a, there's a whole segment of this fandom that we have to, I think that we haven't done a good job of, you know, disavowing or, or that like the, the people who are, who are positive on the last Jedi have, I have, you know, kind of attacked that one side, but I, I feel like we should, you know, come together to be more, more forceful and just this is a this is a, a series about you know love and, and you know friendship and and not acting out of anger and it's so bizarre that there's such a large segment of this fandom that has devoted itself to acting out of anger and hurting people it's just rather ironic so just th- if you're part of that group get lost we don't want you uh, but to, to get actually into the character um my issue with uh with with uh, Rose as a character is that it has nothing to do with Kelly, Kelly Marie Tran. I think she actually she actually is quite good. She has wonderful chemistry with uh, John Boyega. That scene where they first meet and is actually pretty delightful. You know when she sh- shocks him and then he's like paralyzed on the on the cart. Like there's a really great back and forth. So it's not a, an issue with her performance. I think it's an issue with her writing. Pretty much after they leave and head to Canto Bite, and I think the big issue is that 
uh, Rose is a Mary Sue. Ray is not a Mary Sue. Like ob- objectively, going by definitions, Ray is not a Mary Sue. You know, a Mary Sue is a character who has you know has no flaws. Is just kind of a perfect person. Often, kind of an uh, the author's kind of surrogate inside the story, and they just kind of exist to say themes and you know, to just be the author's mouthpiece. And that's kind of what Rose is. You know, she like all the other main characters have like serious arcs that are going across, going through, and she's just kind of there to be pretty much an angel on Finn's shoulder, telling him, th- telling him Ryan, you know, Ryan Johnson's themes and his his truth for this moment and. You know whether it's condemning Canto Bite or just telling you telling him he has to stick to a cause. Like there's outside of her always saying the truth in any given moment, there's really not a lot of character there. And and I don't I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Like not every single character has a knock. You know if she was a side character, it wouldn't be a problem. I think she kind of is forced into a, an already really crowded cast. You know we have Luke. Ray, Kylo, and then you have Poe, Finn, uh, Haldos there, Leia. You already have a really crowded cast of characters, and now Rose is kind of stuck in there. And I think her being here and not actually offering a lot in the way of actual, you know, actual character in herself, she just steals a lot of screen time from Finn without actually giving us much in return. And also being kind of a Mary Sue character, she is kind of the mouthpiece of the of like Ryan Johnson's mouthpiece and she's just given some really heavy handed and awkward lines that just don't often don't work. Like when she's talking about like there's pretty much every line from her in Canto bite is really irritating. And then the, the really much criticized line, uh, the saving what we love line, like she's just kind of a mouthpiece for themes. It, it doesn't feel like there's much underneath a- after they head to Canto by like before I actually quite like her. So I'm kind of rambling, but I just think the character is kind of like, it doesn't bring much on her own and it's kind of unnecessary. I think being here, she really, she kind of distracts from Finn. And I think Finn's arc actually would have been more powerful if he didn't have her. Like if he, like if Finn needs someone to bounce off of, we already have Poe. They established a wonderful dynamic in The Force Awakens. So giving us this film and taking away that incredible dynamic they had feels pretty bad. And also I think if he had to face DJ, and had to you know had to face these various attacks on his beliefs it would have been more effective in fact it was it was like him and dj alone having to battle battle with their ideologies rather than finn having this angel on his shoulder kind of whispering truths into his ear the whole time i just feel like she she just doesn't bring much on her own takes away time from from other more important characters and also just it, it cheapens Finn's arc by just having this this constant force of good just speaking into him. Where I think it would have been better if he if he had to face DJ on his own. Uh, does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with all of that. Like you, I really do like their first scene. You know, now, even like now having seen it, you know, probably like ten times honestly at this point. Um, I I still, despite me knowing that I'm going to. Maybe not just like strongly dislike her by the end of it. I definitely have my fill of her pretty quickly, but I still every time enjoy the first scene. Uh, her is this kind of like awkward person meeting our hero. That's a really good scene. You know, the, the doing talking line. Some people find it cringy. I, I like it. I, I like that type of character. It seems like this very un. It's weird because that scene seems to contradict everything else the movie says about her. Because in that one, she's like. 
unsure of herself, super like excited. Doing talking isn't her forte. Well, that's true. Unless the talking she's doing is like these hand-fisted beating you over the headlines. Um, or else those are just as hand-fisted as her original uh, <laughs> uh, you know, conversation with Finn. Yeah, maybe. But uh, one of the things that I think is is a problem is that they give her too many like causes. You know, we, we get to Canto Bite and it's, you know, oh, war profiteering is bad. The, these rich people are bad. They're the bad people. <laughs> Look, animal cruelty is bad. We rescued them because cap, capturing these space horses is bad. You know, attacking people for the sake of just attacking them is bad. We got to say what we look like. It's just every other scene she is in feels like, here's my new thing I'm, I'm all about. You know, it's you don't have that because with almost every other character, you have that one theme attached to them. You know, I mean, for for many of them here, it's failure. It's it's learning from failure and um, and learning about the balance between the past and the future and all of this stuff. With her, it's just like, man, what are we doing now? She'll find some way to latch on to something there and and give this in, this inspired line. But uh, she's she's just doing too much. And in that final scene where. Finn is going to sacrifice himself, uh, well, needlessly, because it wouldn't have worked. Like, if he was going there and it was Poe that stopped him. Like, Poe is the one who learned, and now Poe is acting out on that, where, you know, Finn is acting on his newfound allegiance to the Resistance, and Poe is acting on his newfound, uh, I guess, uh, wisdom and uh, love for, for, the, for his troops. Like, that would have been the perfect conclusion to both their arcs, and instead we have this other character who doesn't really matter. Forcing yourself in. <laughs> and it's also frustrating because like you said, there was that amazing dynamic established in, in The Force Awakens between Poe and Finn. And going into Nine, I, I think Finn has been really unfairly treated in The Last Jedi. You know, a lot of people said he was pointless, he's useless, he didn't do anything. And I think we talked a good bit on the last episode about how he really does have an arc. If you, you know, if you're really paying attention with his character, there's definitely a lot of growth from the beginning to the end. Um, and I just think he's shortchanged because it's happening alongside this character that's just quite often, you know, irritating, especially as far as the writing is concerned. And I think that all of all of the solid growth he went through would have been so much more noticeable if it was like this loner plot thread where it's just it's him by himself, like you said, being forced. or him or him and Poe together. Like, yeah, exactly. Or him and Poe, because Poe, you know, still kind of remains a fan favorite. Um, and so I just think everything done well with Finn would have been more noticeable and more welcomed. Yeah, well, you, you all can probably imagine that while Rose, for me, is not a top 10 or maybe even a top 20 character, I'm a bit more I'm a bit more forgiving about her presence and place in the movie. Um, I actually really do like the idea of and, and tend to agree that him being isolated, Finn being isolated and going off on his own and learning to figure some of those things out on his own without Rose there might have actually been a more more powerful and meaningful way to deal with him. And so I totally see the argument about being him being shortchanged to an extent. But more than anything for Rose, for me, um, especially after the that first scene where they meet and she's crying over her sister, which is a great way to introduce that character. In my opinion, yeah. it gave that scene a, a moral and uh, emotional gravity 
um, for her actions and, uh, you know, and her stopping Finn uh, like she did um, in a in a state of uh, uh, duress, you know, over her sister, I thought was a great way to introduce her. And I'll also agree that um, she tends to become a bit more paper thin after that. But does she do I find her to be as obnoxious and irritating and, and a drag um, like many others do? I, I really don't. Um, with the, with the exception of a, of a couple lines that I thought were certainly improperly placed, um, not improperly acted because I think we've all agreed that Kelly Marie Tran did a great job with the material that she was given. Uh, there were a few lines that uh, just shouldn't have been there or should have been written a bit differently. Um, one of my biggest criticisms is the is not the theme behind the saving what we love line because I actually really like the theme behind it and I think there's way too much hate and criticism on, the concept behind that line. I think a lot of people haven't really thought through thematically what's being said by the movie when that line is uttered. That is separate from whether that line should be there in that moment, however, if that makes sense. Yeah, we're there now, so let's talk about that. Um, Addressing some of the criticism, like there was a like an entire like 15 minute video I saw on YouTube about how the last Jedi ruins sacrifice because Mm. Finn's uh, attempted sacrifice was thwarted by Rose. And you know, that, that that's a a very common complaint I heard, even amongst fans of the film. I've like a lot of people who just don't like that. scene. they don't think that scene works. I think it's self-contradictory. And this is a really weird one because like, if you look actually in the dialogue of that scene, both a Rose and Poe are saying, it's too late, it's not going to work, that thing's fully charged, you can't make it. Like, the dialogue of the scene is telling us if Finn keeps going, he's going to die, and he won't save anyone. But there's the, the, the it, it turns, it, it, emotionally, you know, he turns the radio off, he's going, the music kicks up. We feel that if he flies in that barrel, he will stop it. So it, it's a really odd thing where I'm not, it, I think it should have been directed a little differently with maybe an extra line where he says, like, you, if you go in there, you will die, you won't save anyone. Like some kind of line to actually get through to the audience that no matter what he does, he cannot stop that thing. Because like, there's a lot of people say, like, oh my gosh, Rose is a traitor. She doomed the resistance. If she hadn't stopped him, Finn would have saved everybody. And it's weird because like the film is like objectively looking at the facts. The film is saying that thing would not, like he, him flying into the barrel of that gun would not have saved anyone. Like the film is saying that, but even for me, when I'm watching it and I, I don't, I don't really feel it in the moment. It's, it's a really strange thing. So, like, just to just, 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 just address that, like, the film is saying Finn could not have stopped that gun. So it's not saying that Finn's sacrifice was wrong or that sacrifice is wrong or that sacrificing yourself to save others is wrong because, like, you know, we have just previously we had Holdo's sacrifice and we had uh, uh, Luke's sacrifice at the end. Like, the film is obviously saying sacrifice is a beautiful thing and often necessary. But what the film is actually saying is you know, necessary sacrifice. Like, like we should be, we should be just trying to 
kill ourselves for simply uh, as Finn says, I, I won't let them win. Like what, what's happening in that moment is Finn is kind of becoming like Poe where it's about, you know, trying to destroy the enemy at any cost. It's not about saving. Oh, I have to save my friends. It's about, I won't let them win. And that was Finn's problem in that moment. I, I think it's, it's like, if you actually think about it, it's, it's actually say, it's saying something very intelligent, but I don't think it's directed in a way that really gets those themes, those themes across. And then I also think, placing that scene of it's not about it's, you know it's about saving what we love not destroying what we hate in that moment doesn't make a lot of sense because he was finn was trying to save what we love so it's that, that wasn't the lesson he needed to learn i think that, that that line is very true it's what star wars has always been about it's about you know with the jedi have always been fighting like we're fighting to save people we're not fighting to kill the enemy we're fighting to save those around us we're fighting to save the innocent that, that, that is very much the heart of star wars but putting but putting in that moment doesn't fit. I think that that line should have come from Leia to Poe because that is that's Poe's struggle. That's not necessarily Finn's Finn's struggle. Poe's struggle is he's trying to destroy what he hates and he's not really concerned about saving what he loves. So that's the line that should have come from Leia to Poe. I think um, it's, it's it's misplaced and doesn't and like it shouldn't doesn't belong to those characters. It's out of place. Like that 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 scene that line doesn't actually affect the the thing that was happening the moment she said it. It's it's just a really awkward scene altogether i think i think what it should it should have been i i think having poe say that to finn would have worked where i think at that point poe had learned his lesson and he didn't need to hear that anymore and so for him to deliver that line to finn would be now that he's learned it just in time to see someone else who's like now, like, you know, Finn's arc is, okay, I'm no longer just dedicated to Ray. I'm dedicated to the cause, so let's do this. You know, I'm all all in, going at him full force. And now Poe, having just learned this and having already called off the attack, is seeing, you know, this reckless uh, person acting quite like him. And so he is he's reiterating the lesson he just learned, and I think that would have been better um, because it would have come from... A, a relationship that's been properly developed um and you know i think coming from i think oscar isaac not that kelly marie tran was ever really the problem with the role but i just think oscar isaac would have probably been able to sell it better um and then as for you know the the criticism about you know it's it's saying sacrifice is bad you know i think that if you're paying attention it's, it's not saying that though i do kind of understand because the film is kind of, it feels like it's contradicting itself in the moment, kind of like what you were saying with the movie itself in, a, in the dialogue and in Poe, who is placed in a position of authority in that moment. Everyone is saying, don't do this. Not just, you know, don't just not throw your life away. This isn't going to work. Um, and so the movie is actively saying that while at the same time, there, you know, there's such thing as a cinematic language. There are there are things where if a movie says this or shows this or ha makes music come here, where like it's it's telling you something. So with the dialogue, it's telling you this isn't going to work. But with the shots and with the pulling the sound out and with the music swelling, like the language of film is telling you, no, this is something good. And so I, I do understand the confusion and the, you know, the, I guess, reaction to it to say, you know, why you you were like trying to ag me on, like you were intentionally trying to get me invested in this with the music. You were manipulating in me into rooting for Finn to make it because of this emotional music swelling. And then you crash me and you break me and say, hey, no, it's we're not doing that. Stop. Um, 
I don't know. Like you said, I, I think it should be. It should have been directed differently. We should have felt more obvious that that Finn wasn't in the right in how he was handling this. Um, it just felt like a moment of contradiction within the movie. Well, and I, I'll actually agree with that too. Um, I'm all about subversion and uh, especially meaningful subversion, and that's probably one of the many reasons why I like the Last Jedi so much. But I think that this was a moment. Where, as both of you have said, the scene could have been directed a little bit differently and and made you more conflicted in that moment. Made you feel like, okay, you know, Finn is doing the right thing. I feel like maybe he's doing the right thing. He's going to try to take out the cannon and sacrifice himself. But I don't know. I mean, look at, look at his speeder. It's breaking up around him and Poe told them all to fall back for a reason because he learned his lesson and you kind of also want Finn to get saved too. You're like, well, who's going to save Finn if this isn't going to work? And, and, and that, that tension in that moment isn't quite there like it should be where it's kind of like splitting you, you know, like that. And, and I, and I wish it, I wish it would be like that. I still get most of that, you know, especially after repeated viewings. I understand what Ryan Johnson was going for there, um, and I appreciate what he attempted to do there. But I agree that it didn't, it didn't quite work, perhaps how it should have. And I also think that after Finn crashes and he runs to Rose. I'm a firm believer that as often as possible, I know there are exceptions, but especially in moments like this where showing something might be more powerful than saying something, just needless exposition, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So... In that moment, I would have actually still been totally fine with it, and it would have clicked for me, even with a few of my my minor qualms. Had, in my opinion, had had Poe run up to her and you know asked her why she did it, and her really maybe even trying to get something out, but but passing out before she gets something out of her mouth and and there and I think just that alone between the body language and their facial expressions and Poe in disbelief because she saved him and then not getting an answer from Rose in that moment and her her passing out um, like that uh, without saying anything I think would have actually been uh, a more emotional, uh, an effective moment. And then, you know, he drags her in and, and maybe says something like, you know, just in disbelief, he goes, why, why would she do that? Why would she do that? And Poe says she was saving what she loved. It, we actually addressed, I think, several of the criticisms of that, but let's just move on from that to talking about uh, just tr tr trying to engage with some of these criticisms and I've spent the last week watching, like watching through uh, there's a lot of different like YouTube criticisms. Like there's like there's a 
very horrible black hole on YouTube of like video essays that are, you know, attacking The Last Jedi. And it was strange because it felt like after a point, it felt like they were all kind of just copy paste. Like one thing seemed like it seemed like they don't only a lot of those guys had only watched the film once. Like a lot, a lot of the people who are most angry and most vocal, like because there's a huge variety in in the anger towards this film. You know, they're like the douchebags who are like attacking people online and like being incredibly sexist and racist. Then there's the people who just hate it because they love Star Wars. Then you know, there's people who are just like, I didn't like it. And there's people in the middle. Like there's a whole spectrum. So like when we talk, when we talk about criticisms and we talk about people who are bringing out these criticisms, there's going to be a lot of generalization because we're just trying to get points across. Like if we say something about a certain group of people and that doesn't apply to you, then we're not talking about you. Like I understand that there's definitely a lot of nuance that we won't entirely be able to, um, to you know get in a in an hour and a half two hour episode but just just, just you know like when we say people who are doing this we're not saying that is all people who hate star hate the last jedi are doing it's just that like this is a this is a group that we have observed in our interactions you know in the world and online and that we're going to address that group like we're not speaking if we address a specific uh like flaw in criticism like we're discussing that specific group not not everything we say here will be addressed to everybody who didn't like the last jedi just to get that clear but like among the people like really i found that like really hated the film there was this like burning anger like and just like constant hyperbole just like this is the worst movie it just like destroyed star wars star wars is dead there's no point in watching like this like things like, like every video would say that like there's no point in watching the episode nine like star wars is destroyed sjw's kathleen kennedy ryan johnson hates star wars fans like i it's like it's this really horrible echo chamber that people have created and what's really sad is like when you watch their videos when you like li read their things when you li listen to them like they objectively did not understand the movie. Like, th th there's a possibility. Like, if a movie is really bad, that and it it doesn't. It was poorly directed, poorly written, and it doesn't get its themes across in an effective way. Like, that, that's always a possibility. But if someone's going to be going online and like posting hour long videos, twenty minute long videos, and, like trying claiming to be dissecting a film, and they can't actually like with a gun to their head, could not tell you what the di director was trying to communicate. There's something seriously wrong with that form of criticism, and that seems to be like the dominant type of criticism from the more uh, the more angry side, and it's just really sad. Right, right. They can't they can't even tell you what the movie is about. And like this is the uh, the most obvious thing that comes across when you are dealing like like when you when you listen to interviews with Ryan Johnson, like he's very like like. Honestly, every, like everything he says, I got already got from the watch. Just watching the movie, I'm not like they're not claiming to be like incredibly smart, but like he, there's a very clear thought process of how he got to where he did and what he was trying to say. And if you don't understand, like there, there's so it feels like there's like a lot of willful misrepresentation of the film. Like just everything I don't like was Ryan Johnson saying, you know that guy online, I want to piss him off. How can I piss him off? And it's like it's, it's that's like that feels like. That's the attitude that a lot of people are approaching this film as if it's a a hate letter from Kathleen Kennedy to them online. When it's just not like whether or not you like or hate the movie, Ryan Johnson was doing his best to try and make a good movie that he thought would speak to Star Wars fans and would speak to the speak to what Star Wars is about. Like that was his intention. And like you have to you if you if you come to a film assuming the director was maliciously out to get you, you will never be able to you know, fairly 
examine a film because no film is made like that. Film, films are made, these are passionate people who devote years of their lives to trying to tell a good story, and often they fail. And maybe Ryan Johnson failed, but you can't go either assuming that he was out there to hurt you. Like that, that, That's just, that's, that's like ego at its biggest. Like, what's the, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> Well, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to add. This is honestly, I guess, a a side of the the criticism that I I used to regularly engage with, like, just far too much. Um, At this point, what I've found is, I mean, everything you're saying is true. There there are people who seem to, to genuinely think that this was an active attempt at disrespecting the franchise and disenfranchising people it's just that that is obviously very much not the case and they'll pick quotes from johnson's past where i think he you know he said something to the effect where you know i would love to make a movie where half the people hated it and half the people love it i think we should not insult our own intelligences by taking that and forcing it upon the situation yes i see the very obvious surface level parallels but i do not think that quote was made in reference to a a franchise like star wars i i do think the answer would have been very different had they asked you know what would you want to do if you directed star wars Mm -hmm. i think what he was very much clearly talking about was just this you know very pointed personal thing from him that would have been very you know, it, controversial in the way that, you know, l- there are many, many fantastic movies that most everybody loves now that were controversial at the time. I think he just, wa- he was being clear he wanted to make something worth talking about. Uh, and forcing that, that quote on this film, I think is very unfair. And I also think you have to understand, like, if you want to, if you want to actually understand, even if the person you, even if the person in question is a person you dislike, if you want to understand them and understand where they're coming from, you have to actually look into them and their their line of work. And Kathleen Kennedy has produced huge portions of our childhood, literally. You know, we, if you go back and watch a lot of the films you loved growing up, you're going to see her name. Ryan Johnson has been very explicit in how much he loves this series. Um, so this uh, this uh, argument that they're out to destroy our childhood is, I mean, it, it is honestly an embarrassing argument. Like I, I feel sad when people make it because I I cannot believe it's actually being made. Um, but I guess that's everything I have to say on this side of the argument because I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like there's so many other things I'd rather deal with than just this near mindless hatred. Yeah. Well then, and and of course now that Ryan Johnson does in fact still have a trilogy that he's developing that has allowed that false narrative to continue because now these very, in my view, unnecessarily angry fans say, well, this is just, you know, we we made our opinion known about The Last Jedi and how much we hated it, and now Disney's given him a trilogy. That just proves even more that they hate us and they hate the franchise and they want to burn it all down. And so, but it's such a convenient narrative and it's such a surface level take on what's actually going on within the franchise. I doubt any of these people have watched the documentary on the last Jedi disc because well, maybe most of them didn't buy 
The Last Jedi, so <laughs> they didn't get a chance. They didn't get a chance to watch the documentary, uh, which I was so glad was included on the disc called The Director and the Jedi. Everybody should watch it um, to get into the mind of Ryan Johnson and especially the uh, the growing relationship between Ryan Johnson and Mark Hamill and them working through that storytelling process together and seeing that mutual respect grow between two people who didn't know each other beforehand um, really is a special thing. And I wish I wish more people would watch it to kind of see in context what was occurring and the conversation that was occurring between between Ryan Johnson and Mark Hamill, specifically on the character of Luke. And oh look, there's a segue. <laughs> well, actually, I, I want to talk about the brief previous point real quick. I, like this is something I've note I've thought about. Like, wa- watch do- watch interviews with filmmakers you dislike. Like, there, there's this really, mm-hmm. this, like, I'll, even this this is bigger than Star Wars. Like in the film community, there's a lot of anger like directed towards filmmakers. Like, uh, for example, Justice League. Like, I I'm really upset about what. Warner Brothers Justice League, but I don't want you going and you know, sending hate mail to Joss Whedon or like in, in any film, any film you like you were excited for and disappointed. Like people try to lash out at the filmmakers. Like there's like there's like a lot of there's a lot of personal and like spiteful attacks on filmmakers and just people like they they personalize their feelings and just place them on that one on that one person. And like if you watch interviews, you watch the, you know, the behind the scenes. You, what you always find is. This person is a you know passionate, very intelligent. You don't get to be a film director unless you're intelligent, usually. <laughs> like an intelligent person who knows more about film than you will ever know and probably loves film more than you ever will, who's just doing the job they love. And 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 you you that's what you'll pretty much always see when you watch the behind the scenes. Like and and every decision you hate, there was pro- there was probably a very intelligent line of thought that got that it might have been the wrong decision. It might have been a terrible decision that was that made the movie bad as a result. But still, like there was thought, there was you know care and love put into all of that stuff that you hate, and it, and it wasn't done despite you. Like watch you just watch interviews from people you dislike, and you're gonna you know, it, it, it builds some empathy. And you you just see that you know. You don't have to like the movie, but you don't want to disrespect the person either. Well, and that's an interesting point too, just as a as a side note, that if you end up disliking a movie strongly, it could very well be that it's not necessarily a bad movie, but that the movie just wasn't made for you. That's a that's a good segue, actually. We'll get to Luke later. Um and that, that comes to expectations, like, and also like the type of like. And there's another group of fans, like, I just didn't like the Last Jedi. I don't like. I don't think it's terrible. It's okay. I just don't like it. I'd rather watch the, the original trilogy. And like that, I, I I do respect that group. Like I I understand. Like for me, I will always choose the Force Awakens and the New Hopes over the Empire Strikes Back and the Last Jedi. I pr- I prefer that jo- the really fun adventure film. So I I think that there's there's a a large element of just simple preference in this conversation that was as well as getting overlooked. Where I think a lot of people are confusing preference with your objective flaws. Like, if I came to The Last Jedi, I want a film like The Force Awakens, like A New Hope, that is just a pure adventure film. You know, there's a lot of discussion of what Star Wars is supposed to be, which I, I don't think there actually is necessarily any one answer to that. I think there's a lot of answers to that, which is, I think is kind of the beauty of the, the series. But, like, this doesn't feel like a Star Wars film. It's something I've said a lot about the prequels. And it, it, it's about, you know, expectations. It's, it's, it's not necessarily whether this was a good film, it's just 
was it what I was it the type of film I want, and or was it what the type of film I expected, and our expectations do, uh, you know, I think for me, like I try, I very consciously try to bury my expectations, but they still hurt me as well. Like when I watched The Last Jedi, like I had a lot of issues, and it took like multiple rewatches to kind of sort them out. Like it's, it's just, I think it's just part of you know being a film fan, you know, to bring those and i'm not saying this to condemn anyone who watches film with expectations but i think we have to understand what you wanted coming to that film really doesn't matter like the the filmmaker came in there and spent two years crafting their own story with what they want to tell and their own ideas you can't really come to a movie and say i want this this and this and this like that that might not be the story they want to tell and they're the storyteller not you like i, I don't i'm not trying to be insulting or arrogant but just like expectations they're not real they're just something we something we've kind of created in our own heads that often bear no resemblance to the actual film being made because the film isn't really being made for you it's being made for the artist the artist is telling the story they want to tell and we have to allow like we can't we can't try and come at the last minute and say i want you to tell me to do these things for me because that's that's not what they're doing it's it's just a it's it's a bad it's a very flawed way of approaching films i think and there's a lot of people who do it you just you know i I go to movies to have fun i understand if you if you're not the type that actually wants to examine films you're fair but we have to understand like if this film was not what i expected wasn't what i wanted you don't have to like it dislike it all you want never see it again but that doesn't make it a bad film yeah i've got a lot a lot of strong feelings on this topic um i've always thought that the the only thing relevant in in judging a film or the only thing relevant when it comes to judging a film is is what happens in the runtime you know it's i i love speculating i will never ever ever be the person who avoids all trailers i'm going to consume as many trailers that come out um and i am going to be posting all of my wild theories online um but once i'm sitting in the theater and the movie starts it is on me, the viewer, to check all of that at the door and to be willing to accept the story that is now being told to me. So any any expectations set by the the only I guess the only thing external to a film that would be worth holding this film to is if it shares continuity with with other movies, because then I do think there is a responsibility on the filmmaker to operate within the parameters set up in that universe. Yeah. That's another topic, which I'm sure we'll get to, where people say it failed. I personally don't. But just talking about the idea of expectations and the fact and, and this idea that we are allowed that we are allowed to hold this movie to what we want it to be. Um, the idea that Star Wars is supposed to just be a space adventure. It, it's so crazy because I feel like the person who would say that would would also say Empire Strikes Back is their favorite movie <laughs> in, in the series, maybe even ever. And I mean, we, we spend huge portions of that movie meditating in a swamp. So I, I think that's kind of crazy. Star Wars has been about a good number of things and it's all the better for it. Yeah, love, love, it or, love or hate The Last Jedi, it is very much a spiritual sibling to empire strikes back the empire strikes back is a miserable little movie that punishes our heroes every step of the way and doesn't give us anything we want and that's why we that's why it's one of the greatest films of all time because it was a franchise film that didn't give us what we wanted to give us what we needed or give us what the characters needed like and and i think like that that's going to be part of the legacy of the last jedi is like i i i think a lot of the criticism like criticism is based on like 
oh, Snoke wasn't who I thought he would be. Ray, Ray's parents weren't who I thought they would be. Those kind of things can only exist in the va- in that brief vacuum between The Force Awakens and the release of The Last Jedi. Like, after that, that type of speculation kind of just evaporates. Like, nobody goes back to... Like, we don't look at, at A New Hope and judge it by whatever speculation people had in 1998 of who Darth Maul would be. Like, that, all of that stuff just kind of evaporates. I think they... Since a lot of the criticisms are based on that kind of stuff, I think a lot of them will, will kind of disappear over time because they are based on that very... That, that, that type of speculation that can only exist in a very brief amount of time and just slowly evaporates as the film because the, the, the speculation just fades and the film the film just is and it will always be here. The speculation won't. Yeah, and I, I think a, a problem that it may not be exclusive and specific to Star Wars but is unfortunately very, very prevalent um, and I think has been able to be prevalent and unproblematic um, for a bit but is now like revealed to have been a problem is is this sense of of ownership from the fandom it it seems like there is a very very like prideful sense of of ownership that the fans feel over this series you know it's it's not even something that they would say like oh yeah i probably get a bit too it's like no no we're the fa-. like we make our voices clear and, and the series caters to what we want we want this and and the the mo the movies or the shows deliver it to us, and we we are just as active and involved in the process of shaping these stories as the filmmakers, and that's something that I think you would genuinely find to be like across banners or whatever, like at, at Star Wars conventions. It's just you know, the in one way you know it can be seen as endearing, where it's just like that's how involved the fans feel in the story, but you know whenever. A movie like the last jedi comes out then i think the the problems of that mindset are revealed to where you know it's fine when the force awakens comes out and it's like a new hope and it's you know everybody who disliked the prequels is like okay star wars is back this is what we were saying you know i'm right there with you i love this is classic star wars feel but that doesn't mean that we get we have no right to say see this is what we want keep doing this um that's not for us to say and like you said the filmmaker you don't you don't hire a filmmaker to tell the story the audience wants to hear. You hire a filmmaker to tell the story that they want to tell. And if an audience likes that, great. If not, oh well, come back for the next one, see if it changes. But these movies are not meant I mean they they are meant for you, obviously, but they are not written to please exclusively you. That's just uh, hopefully a byproduct of of the film. Right. And I think that in all just say this i guess before we move on uh to that end had the last jedi been a safe star wars movie and you all know what i mean when i say that mm-hmm. had the last jedi been a safe star wars movie and had it fulfilled the wishes of the portion of the fandom right now that is angry uh perpetually so it would seem I actually am willing to admit that it still would have been an entertaining Star Wars movie. There is nothing quite like the spectacle of Star Wars, right? Mm -hmm. But would it be a movie that I'm still talking about a year later? Would it be a movie that I'd be sitting here discussing in detail on a a two-hour podcast? No, it would not. It would be 
another Star Wars movie that I said I enjoyed and I can't wait to see the next one, but it would be for completely different reasons than the ones I have right now as to why I'm so excited about Episode Nine, And I'm so excited about Episode Nine because The Last Jedi brought the Skywalker saga and Star Wars in general into uncharted territory. And I found that compelling and fresh and it made me excited to be a Star Wars fan and it kept my my interest and my attention. I don't like pigeonholing Star Wars into just a vehicle for pure escapism. That's not what I always look for in Star Wars. I got that in Solo, which I loved, and sadly, uh, quite a few Star Wars fans boycotted it because of their feelings, their negative feelings about The Last Jedi. But I loved The Last Jedi because I watched it with my jaw open virtually the whole time because of the themes that it grappled with and it engaged my mind um, in a way that uh, most other Star Wars movies haven't done. And I found that to be something to be praised and admired. And I get that some other Star Wars fans wanted something different. I get that. But don't discount this film for what it is. Mm-hmm. And like yeah, that gets back again to like, what do people want from a Star Wars film? And there is no answer to that. Like, look, look at what we have. We have a New Hope is pure adventure film filmmaking. We have The Empire Strikes Back is like one of the most subversive films ever made. Uh, uh, Return of the Jedi is more kind of in line with the original uh, with with Star Wars as far as pure adventure. Then you have the prequels, which are this crazy gigantic epic that is in no way shape or form tonally like the original trilogy this is this epic tragedy and the fall of an empire it's something completely different at its heart and then we have like the clone wars and rebels which cover all kinds of different tones and genres then we got these new films you have the force awakens which is a pure adventure film you have rogue one which is this war film that ends in horror like this incredible tragedy, like everyone dies at the end and it's like, it's incredibly depressing and grim. Then you have, you know, the, uh, last Jedi, which is this, you know, very much in the vein of, uh, of Empire Strikes Back, a very subversive film that is far more interested in, in, you know, exploring characters than just being explosions and fun. Then you have solo, which is just another pure adventure. Like there is no template for what a Star Wars film should be like. Like we have so much diversity and variety in tone and style and genre. Um in Star Wars and even more when you look at like like the Clone Wars covers every imaginable genre you can and style you can imagine. And like just to say Star Wars has to be pure adventure or Star Wars has to be this or Star Wars has to be that is just one incredibly reductive to this incredible world that Lucas created. And I think it's I think it's kind of disrespectful to him as the creator to say like like, and it, I think it was disrespectful when we, he gave us the prequels is when that we had that whole te- decade of just virulent hatred piled on top of Lucas. And then now kind of, you know, prequels are coming back in style. And I, I, as a prequel fan, I love that. But we we can't, you know, again, as we said, we can't look at the creator and say, you have to give me this one type of thing. And I think Star Wars has established a wide variety and wide diversity of tones and styles so I, I really don't think there's any actual place where we can say this is what Star Wars is because we've 
because there's always an exception to that. And I think that's beautiful. Like I prefer the pure adventure films. Like those are the ones I'm going to rank higher. I, I love them all, but you know, and other people prefer the, you know, for the, you know, the, the more darker, more mature, like most people, most people say empire is their favorite. And it's like, we all have a different style that we prefer. And we might even not even like a certain uh, chapter. I don't really like attack of the clones. I think it's like, it's not a good film. But I'm not. I'm not going to discount it because I. I don't think it was a Star. It felt like Star Wars. I'm going to discount because I think it's a bad film. And so, I think we have to understand that, that Star Wars cannot any longer be restricted by this. Oh, it doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie because I don't think there's. A, I don't think that is actually any. There's any actual one thing to be pointed to that you can say this is what Star Wars should feel like. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if you only want the franchise to be one thing, it will stagnate and die. It is films like The Last Jedi, like Empire Strikes Back, like The Phantom Menace for how problematic and flawed it is. It is those films that will kind of point us in a new direction and open up an entire new world of of narrative and thematic and tonal possibilities. Like Star Wars, Star Wars can go on for another hundred years if we keep experimenting and trying new things. That's one of the strengths of the MCU. People say they all feel the same. They don't. There's a like Infinity War is not Thor Ragnarok. Like there's, there's a wide diversity like in the MCU that they'd be able to constantly be keeping fresh and experimenting. And you know that's how a franchise will survive for a long time. You know, your friends like Scream and Lethal Weapon, as much as I love them, all those movies are the same, and eventually they just kind of peter out. Yeah, I, I, I agree uh, totally. And so I don't, I don't understand the reluctance by some to, to not allow for that experimentation. I mean, good, good grief. I mean, they've done it in the Mission Impossible franchise as well to, to predominantly great success yeah and this this isn't to say if you only like one type of star wars film you're wrong like you like what you like and good for you like if you only want this type of film and you want to dismiss all the others that's not that's that's, that's perfectly fine but i i have no problem with you do you liking what you like and you praising what you like but you can't expect the whole world and the entire series to cater to that and also why would you go out of your way to just rain on everybody else's parade (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's another, life. you know, that's another issue that I have, you know, is it's, 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 there are people spending time out of their day trying to make fans of the sequels feel bad. Well, it's that sense of for, ownership that I was talking for about. For liking you know? them. These, these new fans. But it's not, it's, it's not, it's like, not new. This is, this has happened to Lucas in the prequels. Like this is the exact same no, thing. Exactly. But it's. Again. This is this is the mindset though, and again, you know, I'm glad that you clarified earlier. This is this is not at all directed towards everybody who disliked the Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. I think that there are enough problems in it, and it is it it doubles down on such a specific kind of tone that I don't necessarily think you're wrong for disliking it. And I totally get why some people walk away saying this is just not my thing. Um, so yeah, just to I guess reiterate what was already said, uh, but there does exist. And I mean, it, it has to exist because it's made itself so known on social media. We can't just pretend that, that oh, we're, we're all being labeled this. There's definitely a kind of people out there that are very mean-spirited with a, a sense of ownership of, you know, I saw the originals back in the theater. This is my series and this new generation is coming and, and they're making it for them now and they don't care about old fans and they're killing off Han and they're killing off Luke. And There's a legitimate discussion to be had there. Yeah, but... Because I, I did hear something where, you know, 
I someone said something along the lines of, you know, I, I appreciate the new characters, but I wish that the old it didn't have to come at the cost of the death of these old characters to make way for them. I'll talk, you know, maybe we could talk about that. I, I get that perspective, but again, there's just this this other side of of the fandom that is very much, you know, this is supposed to be about Luke. Get Ray out of here. You shouldn't like these new characters. They're about my characters, and yeah, it's it, there's this sense of ownership, and whenever the movies don't cater to this people who to these group of people that feel that they own it they will go out of their way to tell other people almost you know it's not get off my lawn it's you know get out of my franchise it's and the 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 legacy characters you know han luke and leia were never billed as the conversation because i remember the conversation leading up to even the force awakens not once did i did I get the impression that it was just going to be all about them? In fact, I got exactly the opposite yeah. impression. And so it, it didn't jar me when, when Han died, it was, it jarred me for a different reason because of how emotional and thematically rich, uh, of a moment that was, and I think a very fitting ending uh, to Han Solo, uh, which we probably don't even have time to get in because that's from another <laughs> movie anyway. Uh, <laughs> that you listen all to have already, Force that you all have already right. That yeah, right. I got to go back and listen to the Force Awakens podcast uh, that you guys did. I think, but 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 I never got that impression, and so I wasn't disappointed that the story centered around Rey and Kylo Ren with the other characters supporting them uh because I never I never thought that 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 the legacy characters were going to be what the story was all about anyway. And this series did not promise that it was going to be about the legacy characters. All of the promotion was had Rey, Finn, Kylo front and center like they they restructured the entirety of the Force Awakens, just so that we would know this movie's about these new characters. Like, and there was a really powerful line uh, quote from Ryan Johnson when he was talking about how disappointed Mark Hamill was when he first read the script, and you know the very widely publicized uh, kind of his negative comments about it. And where he saw he, was, he and um, Ryan Johnson was saying like he thought he was going to come back and be this, you know, the great Luke Skywalker, that he was going to be the returning hero. And what he actually realized when he saw the script is that he's not Luke Skywalker. He is Obi-Wan. And I think the films have been very clear about this is, yes, these old characters are here. They're very important. They have, you know, they have huge roles like Obi-Wan did, like Yoda did, um, like Darth Vader did, but they're, they are here to serve the story of these new characters. And I I completely understand if you came to these films wanting more Luke, wanting Leia, wanting Han, but these films have been nothing but explicit from the very beginning that that's just not the story they were here to tell. They were here to tell the story of these new characters to, you know, to bring an an entire new generation into the fandom. And that might not be your thing. If you don't want that, go watch the originals. You know, they're always there for you. But these films have been very clear about what they were trying to do, and they've been very clear about what the place of the legacy characters was within the story. And you know, whether or not they should all have died, is the, that's a good question we can, we can have, and I don't think we have time to fully examine all of that here. But 
that that is what this story is. This story has been very open about what has always been very open about what it was going to be. And it's not the story of Luke Skywalker. This is not the story of Leia. This is not the story of Han. They have stories in here. They have like big, you know, powerful things. Like Han has a very huge part in The Force Awakens. Luke has a very large part in this movie. But all of that is in service of building up these new characters and, you know, rising them to the exact same level of those legacy characters. And if that threatens you as a fan, well, I think your priorities are kind of out of whack. This movie, this series has always been there, you know, to appeal to younger audiences. You know, Lucas has said so many times that this is a movie, a series for kids. And the series is always going to be expanding to bring in the new generation of kids, the next generation. And we saw it was incredibly successful with the prequels. Like, like the older gen- older fans rejected them, but we now we have a whole generation of adults who grew up in the prequels. And, th- and the prequels, like, I'm one of them. We're, uh, you know, James, you're one of them. Where the prequels are every ounce as much Star Wars as the original trilogy. And that's how the series is going to survive for decades by, you know, every every generation, you know, bringing in a new crowd. And maybe the, maybe the old crowd won't like it, but... As Lucas said, this is the series he made for twelve-year-olds, and I think that. And if you resent the fact that we're that the filmmakers are making films for a new generation, I think that's that's incredibly selfish. Yeah, and I think that's a a good way to segue into just talking about the criticisms directed at Luke. And it's weird because I feel like there's there's kind of twofold. One is it's a continuation of the criticism of of Han, which wasn't quite as severe, nearly as severe on The Force Awakens, but. There was still a crowd back then of, you know, like, I'm not really into these new characters. I wanted more legacy characters and this and that. What's weird is there's really nice symmetry or, you know, as as Lucas would say, a, a, it rhymes. Um, the way these... these Poetry, baby. Exactly. The way these trilogies are, are presented to us where if you watch them in chronological order, we have Anakin and Obi-Wan. These are our leads. We go into the original trilogy we have luke and han and now anakin and obi-wan they are these other characters with which they they support the new characters and that's why luke is a new obi-wan every every with with the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy now going through chronological order every subsequent trilogy uses the previous trilogy's heroes as the support for the new ones and like you said that is how it's going to live um you're not going to bring in all of these new fans if if we had a you know an entire sequel dedicated to these these older characters because that's not really setting anything new up um and so yeah, i i the way they they treat these old legacy characters is exactly in line with the way it's already done it um and so you know with luke being a an entirely supporting character to ray yeah, that's what that's who Obi Wan was. You know, that's that's how it goes. And that that this bigger than Star Wars. That is classic mythical storytelling one on one. You got the young upstart and the old wise wizard. They go off on an adventure. The old guy dies, and the young upstart becomes the next generation's hero. Like that. That's that's just storytelling. That's not just Star Wars. That's that's basic storytelling. And. It hurts. It does. Like, you know, the the, 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 the old wizard fans are going to, that's going to be painful. But that's just, you know, the, the kids can't grow up if, you know, mommy and dad are always there. It's, it's just the way it's, you know, these, these are, these are, these have all been kind of coming of age stories. And the coming of age kind of requires for the old, the old generation to kind of just to just fade out of the story as they become the new thing. And then they literally fade in this case. In, in 20 years. If, you know, Daisy Ridley and John Boyega stay around, there's going to be a story, maybe even just in 10 years, 
where there's, an- there's another set of heroes and these guys are going to be the new Obi-Wans and it's, it's probably going to hurt me. I, I hope to goodness that I'm not, I'm not yelling online, but it's going to hurt. But that's, that's just the way the world goes. Yeah. And then just dealing with, I guess, the more Luke specific um, criticisms, you know, this ties in with a bunch of criticisms we've already covered where um, there's some sort of active attempt at, at disrespecting him as a character and disrespecting the, the series as a, as a whole. Um, I think there's just a, a lot of willful misunderstanding of of Luke in this film. I think fans would probably and a lot point, of reading of Legends material that just isn't isn't really relevant. I think there's a misunderstanding of Luke. Period. Yeah, and so with I, I think we would, I think we're at the point where there are you could present arguments to specific groups out there that would reject the argument based on the fact that it's it's trying to defend the film. You know, it, we're no longer trying to deal with with what this film is saying and it's you know, Ryan Johnson is not, you know, among my very very favorite directors though I I am a fan. Um but he is becoming one of my favorite directors to listen to and to to read interviews from. Um just because I I'm really appreciative of how honest he is and how open he is about his writing style and and one of the big things that i took away from his interview that very like quite honestly helped me in my struggle with enjoying the film it had helped me enjoy it more which was you know he's he was speaking to his decision and and having luke willfully being there and what he was saying was he was presented a a script that had Luke on an island away from the conflict. Um, you know, how, how do I go from there? And what he said was the challenge was you have to find a way to have to have him there not as a passive participant, not as a, a coward, um, not as someone simply trying to run away from their own responsibility. They had to be there for an active reason. They had to feel like they're active and an active participant in what's going on. And and what he said was, and I think this is the decision, even if it's only just kind of this um this thing that stems from this decision, but I, I think it actually really harmonizes the the prequel trilogy with the original trilogy, is that he looked at the prequels and he saw how fundamentally flawed the order was, and he used that as a reason or he, he gave that to Luke as a reason to stay there. You know, I, I am here not because I want to be. Um, I think the art of the Last Jedi book shows that the um, the or it says that the X wing that's in the water was actually there on purpose. That Luke destroyed his own X wing because he wanted to leave with every fiber of his being. He's he's that Luke. It is the Luke of Empire Strikes Back who knows his friends are in danger and he's going to hop in that uh, cockpit and he's going to fly away. And to to make sure that he doesn't do that, he destroyed it, because in his mind, the Jedi create all the problems. You know, we, as he said, we allowed for um, the tra- we trained Darth Vader directly, and we allowed for the rise of Darth Sidious. And and I create and I created Kylo Ren exactly. And instead of learning from that, I didn't take like I was so puffed up with my. I, I'm Luke Skywalker, the legend in my hubris. It, the dialogue is so fantastic. He's saying, I didn't learn from the mistakes of the Order, and so I repeated them. I created the new Darth Vader. 
And in my attempt at stopping this one, I very well may create the next one. There's just nothing as, as good as the Jedi seem to be. We take ownership of the light. We interfere with galaxy's affairs. We create our own opposition. The, like, it's better to, to seclude myself and to let the Jedi die with me so that the, the galaxy can balance itself, so that the Force can balance itself without this outside interference. And I think that is such a mature and nuanced take for the series. It, it really does bring me back to Empire Strikes Back, which is just so unexpected from where we left off with A New Hope. Um, and so I think there's this intentional under... You know, people share the gif of him drinking the green milk as if that's that's actually Luke, as if they didn't they didn't take away from the fact that that's a facade. He's... He's not really enjoying it. He's intentionally trying to get Rey to leave. He's not there to be the legitimate crazy old hermit. Um, and, and another argument against him is that, you know, he's not really a, uh, Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan was still there on a mission. He was there to find the next Luke or, or to, to help Luke whenever the time came. But at the same time, we have no problem loving Yoda. And I think... Episode three to me makes it clear Yoda was running away. You know, failed I have into exile must I must go. And he was certainly not there for similar purposes as Obi-Wan. Because when Luke shows up, Yoda is finding every excuse in the book to get him away. You know, he is too old, he is too brash, he's not gonna stay to train long enough. Yoda was Luke. I have failed. I have to leave. You know, Luke Luke is recreating who Yoda is and we love Yoda and so I just don't understand because there's so many similarities between these two characters as, as far as their actions go really Luke is just playing the proper role of disgraced Jedi Master mm. and like this is kind of it's we didn't mind when we watched uh you know the new hope and attack uh, and, and uh Empire Strikes Back because we didn't know Yoda. Yoda, you know, Yoda's presented us, so that's just Yoda. We watched that, you know, the wonderful original trilogy that built up this incredible character of Luke Skywalker, and you know, we came to love him. and And so, when you have the sequel trilogy, there are two choices. You know, the choice, well, three choices. One is to make him evil, which they didn't do. Another is to make him the legend Luke Skywalker who walks out on the field in crate and bats back all the light, the lasers and pulls all the walkers down and crunches them into a giant ball and throws them at Kylo Ren. Like you could do that or you could have a human and humans are flawed. And if, 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 if you're telling a story with, you know, drama and character arcs and trying to get across theme and <laughs> telling a story about failure, you're going to get some dirt on our heroes and there are some people who simply don't want that, and that's that's fine. You don't you, you know you don't you don't have to like this movie, but to, in order to tell a story with this powerful allegory about failure and rising out of the ashes of failure and then becoming something new, like look at the if you want to know what this film thinks about Luke Skywalker, look at the ending. What does Luke do? Luke comes displays an incredible force power that we've never seen before. He brings the entire First Order to a halt just by his image and nothing more. And 
and as he di- and after he dies, his legend spreads and relights the flame of resistance. Like the entire resistance had given up. And there's that beautiful shot as he's walking out the door, and the all the resistance people like standing into frame in awe. This is Luke Skywalker, the legend. And he stands out in that field and stops the first order in their tracks. And after he dies, the children are still telling the stories of Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master. That is what this film thinks about Luke. This this film. Yes, it brought Luke to the lowest he has ever been. It broke him down, and it broke him down hard, and it, it was difficult, and it made him suffer, and it made him go through incredible turmoil, and, and us a lot as as people who love him as well. But then it brought him back up and fully cemented forever the legend of Luke Skywalker. That is what this film thinks about Luke. Now, I understand not you know I don't want to see this guy I love hurt, and I I, I definitely sympathize with that, but. This film wants to tell a story and wants to have drama and drama requires conflict and it requires, you know, people have to get hurt. People have to make mistakes. People have to do, do wrong things. That's just the way stories work. Um, so, you know, you don't have to like what they did, but it's, it's, it's not disrespectful to a character to make them go through some hard times. They, they, they did that to Luke in the in Empire Strikes Back. Luke was beaten into the ground in the Empire Strikes Back. And he, they, they beat him into the ground in, in Return of the Jedi. Like, like, the best drama usually hurts our heroes the most. And, you know, again, you don't have to like it, but that, that, that is a legitimate and well-respected form of storytelling. And Luke, the character of the Skywalker is no exception. Um... It's not bad. It's not disrespectful to give them flaws, to make them hurt, to make them to have them, you know, do horrible things. If they left Luke there, I would agree it's disrespectful. But this, this film leaves him in a place in a legendary status. I think it's very clear that Ryan Johnson does love Luke Skywalker. Maybe not in the same way you do, but he does in his own way. Yeah, and that is another point uh where i i i really feel and get the impression that 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 the loudest critics of how luke is handled in this movie conveniently forget about the ending of the film as you said and when you bring all those things up you both have been there too when you're trying to have a constructive conversation about luke's character arc which i think is incredibly powerful and could be one of, if not the most powerful arcs in the saga so far. I think that highly of it and and how Ryan Johnson, Johnson handled Luke, who's a character I've loved since I was a kid too. Honestly, I think way. it's one of the great film arcs. I, I, I would agree with you. And what, what Ryan Johnson was able to do, and I wish I could get this point across to, to everybody who has problems, is... Ryan Johnson gave Luke Skywalker a reason to exist in this story, in this sequel trilogy. They gave him a reason to exist, a a reason beyond just being that uh, that all powerful, no holds barred, no regrets uh, kind of Jedi that some of them wanted, which we all agree would have been cool. But what we got instead was an earned uh, was was Luke Skywalker in a in another moment of conflict. We got a Luke Skywalker who actually 
hadn't learned all of the lessons that he needed to learn. Uh, and that is another reason why when Yoda triumphantly and unexpectedly shows back up in this film, Yoda chastises him once again. And he says that, you know, you're Same still Master looking Skywalker. to right. You're still looking to the future. Not you're not looking at what's right in front of your nose. You didn't learn the lesson I was trying to teach you, and it's time for you to get it through your thick skull. <laughs> you know you've got to learn this. And for me, as a fan of the character and as a fan of the series, I felt like that was earned. I believed that that's the Luke Skywalker I needed to see at this point in time. I empathized with him and what he went through with his nephew of all, of all things, his sister's son, who he, who he let down. That, that's incredibly powerful. That is something that as Star Wars fans, we should be able to look at and go, wow, they gave Luke Skywalker a reason to exist. They put him in this story in a way that is uh, compelling and intriguing and gives us a whole lot of chew on to chew on, not just even about the character of Luke Skywalker itself, but of the nature of the universe and the force as well it opens up so many questions about the universe and and what it hinges upon and what the rules really are um when it comes to the force and and how it operates and what a jedi should be um and i and i loved that and so when you bring up the ending a lot of the critics of how Luke was handled in his film kind of shift the argument. As I said, we've all been there. They kind of shift the argument and they say, well, it sucked because Luke wasn't physically there and he didn't really do anything. He just kind of stood there and taunted Kylo Ren and disappeared. And they really, and he, and, and they shortchange it. Oh, oh. And then my favorite, and then he died for no reason. And then he died for no reason. And so <laughs> they, they say, well, he's not the heroic Luke Skywalker I want him to be. He's not Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master. And then you bring up the ending and say, well, actually, he did go out as probably the most powerful Jedi who ever lived. Or, and if he didn't, he doesn't need to be the most powerful Jedi ever who ever lived. There's been a lot of Jedi. He's Luke Skywalker. He's awesome. He's still awesome. The universe is so much bigger than Luke Skywalker. Uh, and it should be. And that's another thing that The Last Jedi was attempting to say. And and so it frustrates me when, uh, and I think we've all experienced this, like I said, when we explain, okay, well, if he wasn't the hero again, you know, why did he project himself halfway across the galaxy like he did? Um, why did he go back to comfort Leia and save her life and the life of the rebels? Why did he go confront 
the mistake, the thing that had been haunting him and looking at Kylo Ren, looking at Ben Solo in the eyes and saying, I am sorry. I'm sorry. But I, I, I think we're kind of in danger of repeating you know, what well, we said about Luke's I know, I know. We, we, episode. We, okay, all right. Well, maybe we are. But uh, the point I'm trying to make is is I, I really think that that's that the character of Luke in that in that moment is shortchanged by the yeah, and, and, and I think yeah. we don't realize that JJ was the guy who put Luke on the island. Johnson had to come up with a, as, as you said, uh, James, he had to come up with a reason for it to be like, it, the, depending on how you play it, either Luke's a coward or Luke's evil. Johnson had to come up with a way that where Luke is on this island because he believes he is fighting for good. Mm-hmm. He's wrong, but that he is in, 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 in what he is own heart. He is trying to do the right thing. Like that is the narrative that Johnson created for Luke. And that's honoring Luke. Like he could have so easily made him a coward. He could have so easily made him uncaring. But that is the exact opposite of why he was like, you don't have to agree with him. You don't have to like it. But the way he crafted this, it was very intentionally trying to be as honorable to Luke while also acknowledging that he spent the last 20 years on an island ignoring the world. There were only a very few, you know, reasons that could be that aren't incredibly disrespectful to his character i think he found like one of the only options and han solo in the force awakens himself said that he told us what happened han said that luke abandoned it all and left well i think you know he says he went looking for the first jedi temple and i think fans true took too. that and and we're Kinda assuming he was going to go and learn some giant new force power and come back and like blow up a planet by looking at it or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just thought like one of the things that you brought up that I'm really glad you brought up, which is just, you know, whenever you get to the point of, no, this is what they actually think about Luke. And they're like, oh, OK, well, yeah, he wasn't actually there, though. So what does it matter? Um, another thing, again, I love listening to Johnson talk about, you know, his writing process. One of the things that he said he wanted to do with that moment is that. The Force through the definitely through the EU through the video games. I've I've played and beaten The Force Awakens many times. I love that game. I love pulling uh, Star Destroyers out of the sky. That's not really exactly what I think we need in the films. And what he said was with through the video games and through the novels and the comics and everything, the Force was at risk of becoming a superpower. The Jedi were just super Saiyans. They're Superman, they're Greenland, they're, they're whatever, they're comic book superheroes who do have an actual power. And what's so funny is for all of these fans who, you know, understand the series so well, their Ray, that, like, you know, whenever we ask, what is the Force? It's a power that you can move stuff with, you know, like, they may quote... Yeah. Yoda and Obi-Wan say, you know, it's, it's something that binds us. But at the end of the day, if you really think about it, if you, if you love quoting these amazing lines from Yoda and Obi-Wan that talk about the spirituality of the Force, then why is why is Luke showing up and, like, going prequel level awesome with, a, like, a lightsaber and knocking down walkers with the Force? Why is that what you want? Because that's not, that's not what the Force has been really always presented to us at. And so what, what Johnson said was, I wanted to take it back to Empire Strikes Back. I mean, the parallels with that film are very intentional, which is why I'm so surprised that over time people haven't really come around to this movie. Um, he was he was taking he was stripping the Force back, 
more to a, a philosophy as well as just this energy that does bind everything together and bring about true balance between the light and the dark. And so we have that that wonderful sequence where late, you know, our Ray is, is being mistaken and and Luke is being forced to to be Yoda and teach this person no it's not with the with the legends which is ironic now considering the the labeling of the old canon but it's not what the legends say it is it is something so much deeper than that and so i think by making luke just a, a projection and we did talk about this a little bit in the the uh, first podcast where I mean, what he did is the most Luke Skywalker thing ever, where he won through pacifism. I think it would have been a betrayal of his character if he showed up and kicked Kylo's butt. Or he died in the dirt, which, is that honoring to Luke Skywalker? Like, Johnson said he wanted to give Luke a victory, but he wanted it to be peaceful to honor Luke's pacifism. And also, but it has to be a victory. And if Luke comes there in person, he either kills Kylo and the story's over, or he dies. And in this way, what he gave us is a, is a is a scenario where Luke does what needs to be done and then goes out on his own terms. And I think the very last thing that I want to bring up on this subject, and this is something I think a lot of people may not know, but I'm sure, you know, a lot of diehard fans who just like study everything probably know is that Lucas, the intention with Obi-Wan's death was that it wasn't Vader's blade who struck him down. Obi-Wan gave himself to the, because we've seen what it looks like for a Jedi to die. You know, Qui-Gon doesn't disappear when he's killed. What Obi-Wan what, what Obi-Wan willfully gave himself to the Force. He maybe he let them think that it was Vader who truly killed him, but Obi-Wan gave himself to the Force because by being a a Force ghost, by being this entity, he can do more good that way. And again, we know Mark Hamill is going to be in episode 9. We we did see this transition of Luke from the Yoda character who has willfully secluded himself and isolated himself from the conflict into Obi-Wan who has given himself up to destiny and to the force and has put himself in a position to continue to help. But I, I, I think he also was going to die either way because Kylo did say, like, if you force project yourself across the galaxy, the effort would kill you. And he looked pretty sick. Like, yeah. I, like every time we've seen a Jedi give himself up to the, to the, to the force, it's always been at the moment of death. So I, I really don't know if someone can actually do it, you know, willy-nilly any, any time. Well, I think, with but the I think of we the are to understand hope. that he was dying in that moment. Yes, but so, with the effects of the new hope, it's, it was meant to look as if Obi-Wan disappeared prior to the blade striking. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so it, wasn't, it wasn't the actual act. It was, you know, it was prior to even be, being touched by the saber that, that Obi-Wan disappeared. Maybe the force knows when you're going to die or something. Uh, And now that we're talking about the force, I think it's a good time to come into the whole raise a Mary Sue thing, which is is just like going by the definition of what a Mary Sue is. She is not. You know, she's a deeply flawed character. The entire first two films are just like wrestling with her flaws. And to go on a little tangent, I've noticed that a lot of the more harsher critics of these films, they don't actually see Ray as a character. Like they don't even. Like they'll they'll go on these entire rants and never once address Ray's arc and journey. They all all it is about you know either who is she because of who her parents were. Like the reveal was pointless because now she's not a if she's not a Skywalker who is she? She doesn't matter. Uh, like it is it, like there's they're not even like looking at Ray as a person. And the same with Poe and Finn. It's like 
it goes back to that where they, they think Star Wars is about the old characters and, and they're, they're really doing a disservice to these characters by not even like acknowledging them. And so, yeah, if, if, if you're not actually exploring her character, you're not going to see her flaws. So like the whole Mary Sue thing is, is just missing the entire point because she is a deeply flawed character. So she's objectively not a Mary Sue. Now getting into the whole, whether she learns the force too quick, I don't know. Like what is Ray? We don't know what Ray is. We didn't know what Anakin was. Like, what is the one? And like, as I said, like, you know, Kylo is getting stronger and Snoke says, you know, the force is raising up Ray to, to balance you, balance you out. We like, yes, she is. She is gaining power faster than we've seen before. But what, what, like, why, why, why do you think the force can't do that? Do you like, it feels like people are trying to bring the force back to midichlorians. They want it to be exact science. You have to train for this long to learn the mind control trick. You have to you know, do 75 Hail Marys or whatever, <laughs> whatever the heck you do to learn how to pick up rocks. Like it's like people want to like, say, she can't do that without years of training. Like first off, the films have never established that. Like Luke, people are people, guided people are the saying, missiles into the Death Star without his targeting. And computer. was blocking blazers blinded with zero training. Like the films have never given us a textbook of exactly what the Jedi curriculum is. Like that, that doesn't exist. People are people are saying like people are thinking we know a lot more about Force the Force than we actually do, and uh, it feels like people are trying to bring it back. Like the Force can only be this tiny thing. They're trying to bring it back to a science. They're trying to bring it back to midichlorians. And this, these new films refuse to do that. Rey is something we have never seen before. She is the vessel the Force is raising up to confront the, the First Order. She can be as powerful as the Force wants her to be. The Force isn't a science. It, the Force is supposed to be vague. It's supposed to be mystical. It's supposed to have an entire will of its own. Your power doesn't come from training. Like, like you can ref refine it, and you see, because Rey is, is not very coordinated like it's only in moments where she is completely in tune with the forces she truly powerful like there's so many other times where she is she is weak because she is so her mind is so scattered and like the the, the, the your power with the force comes from one you what has been established with your power of the force your power of the force comes from emotion like the dark side drives through emotion we've seen her use the dark side through emotion and become powerful but also with you with with your mental state like your power can vary. Like Kylo was incredibly powerful before he killed his father, but after he killed his father, his connection was was shattered, and he lost a lot of his power. Like the power isn't, it's not about the training. It's not about like all of that is part of it, but that's not all of it. Like there are so many little different facets and, th and things that have never even been covered. Like there's so much we don't know about the Force, and what, and what we do know it even gives us a lot of variety and wiggle room as far as to how it works. So, like it's 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 we can't just look at her and say. The force can't make her do that because who are you? Who are you to say that? Right, and the irony of it is the only entity within the Star Wars universe that attempted to boil the force down into rigid training and into a box was the old Jedi Order, to an extent, and that didn't work out very well. Yeah, I, I, I could. You know, we, we can agree that maybe Ray shouldn't have been able to force to to tell uh, James Bond to drop his gun. Maybe like, but like overall, for looking at the actual overall thing of the way she's growing, she's a lot more powerful than each other we've seen before. Yep, she is. So what? <laughs> right. It doesn't matter. It's it's kind of it's a moot point. And there's there's enough struggle, even physically and with the force, as you said, that she goes through for us to go. Okay, I can suspend my disbelief. This is space fantasy, after all. It's not science fiction. This is space fantasy. The Force is another form of magic, and I don't have to fully understand it all, but make me believe 
that it's possible that she could be the way she is. And they make me believe that. Yeah. And since we're on the topic of Ray, there's another huge criticism. Like one of the biggest is that the reveal that Ray isn't nobody is pointless. And it's just a slap in the face to fans who have speculated about it. And I just don't understand. It's like, a, whether you think, you know, whether you, whether you like it or not, there is a deep story purpose in her being a nobody. And it's both for her personally, for her, her, as we talked about her, her looking to others, her parents, to Luke, to Kylo, to the Force, to define her. And so, you know, if if she was given famous parents, it would have it would have kept her in this this you know this, um, the state of being you know of subjecting herself to these authority figures for de definition. Like it would have been detrimental to her as a person to have famous parents. That, like that's the most important. Like. The, her, her her parents have to be who would mean the most to her as a character. Her parents being Obi Wan Kenobi means nothing to her because she doesn't know Obi Wan Kenobi. If it's maybe if, it, if it's Han, that would have been really weird. But it, like when you look at when you're speculating who her parents are, the first question it has to answer is what does that mean to her as a person? And the and the answer I, I I think the most impactful answer is the one we got. So it's not a wasted reveal. Like objectively. It is given character significance in that moment, and on top of that, it means it also it it means a lot for Star Wars as a whole. Is that the new one isn't you know what it isn't uh, the son of Darth Vader? Like it, we don't. It's about it's going back to the, this thing where we we don't have to be from a bloodline. You don't have to be. You don't have to have you know the the mighty Skywalker blood. You don't have to be from this this famous sire. Anyone, even Broom Kid, can be the next Luke Skywalker. It's it's go, taking it's the, going it's back to a new it's, hope. Yes, yeah, taking the Force outside of just a family or just these. You don't have to have famous parents to be great. It, it, it's 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 two things. It's deeply powerful for Rey as a character, but it also means a lot for the galaxy as a whole. Now, whenever we see a new character that's super powerful, we don't have to spend two years speculating about who their parents were. It doesn't matter. They are the ones who are powerful. Um, so, like, like to say it's pointless is just objectively incorrect. You don't, you don't have to. You might want the force to stay inside families, and you might want the the, the force to be only science based. But to say it's pointless is it, just is just objectively false. There is a strong and obvious point to it. Yeah, and uh, and also just factually speaking, too, um, as far as the timeline was concerned for these movies. The Last Jedi was being written before fans had even seen The Force Awakens and started speculating anyway. Yeah, the film started shooting two months after the the the, the, uh, the uh, Force Awakens came out. The script was already written right. by the time the movie came out. Which is a miracle and blows my mind, honestly, that, that The Last Jedi actually ended up answering some potential criticisms that that people could have about The Force Awakens. I'm not trying to trigger you guys or anything like that. And let's go to another one. Like, people say Snoke is wasted. I'll let one of you two take this on. Uh, who wants to grab this? I mean, I'll take it if, if Josh is okay with that. Go for it. Though I do. I don't know if we've ever talked lengthly, uh, lengthly about Snoke, so I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it. For me, um, I I mean, one of my go-to arguments, though, I'll, I'll acknowledge the, I guess, maybe perceived flaw in it, uh, would be you know we, we the original trilogy was able to function without any sort of real backstory for the emperor we never had to learn who he was we were just told he's the villain 
he's the bad guy. You know, that's, that's just how it, how it goes. And he had a very similar amount of appearance. Like he appeared in the previous film as a hologram, and then he sat in the chair for the rest of, for the rest of the other movies. Exactly. Yeah. In terms of screen time, there's no more Emperor than there is Snoke. I do understand that there is a difference, and this is. I mean, this kind of harkens back to our, like, maybe the one complaint we had with The Force Awakens is that it does, like, The Force Awakens isn't A New Hope in that A New Hope had nothing to hold itself to. We do have a a fairly well-filled-in history prior to this film. And so, yes, I I do think, I, I think it's fair to say, where was Snoke during the original trilogy? How did he just come to be... You know, who is aware of him? I don't think it's film-breaking by any means. I mean, it's, it's a big galaxy. We got the whole Chiss Empire and like a, now the Gursk Empire. Like, there's, it's a big galaxy. There's, like, it, there are plenty of in-canon answers if you care to yeah. look. And so I'm fine if they want to fully take this on in a TV show or in a comic book or a novel or whatever. I'm fine. You know, that's the beauty of Star Wars is that every person who's ever shown their face on screen is going to get a book written about them. But what I love about, you know... Where when people get really upset, you know, cause I I refuse to believe anyone was fully invested in Snoke as a character because it was all who is Snoke really? Again, I mean that's it's the same thing as Ray's parents. No one was concerned with Ray as a character, just like no one was concerned with Snoke. They were waiting for the oh, it's really Emperor like the Emperor who had survived and it took on a different form in the Force or or it's, Mace Windu, yeah, it's, <laughs> Darth Plagueis, it's, it's whatever. Who, yeah, that was the big one. You know, it's somebody that I already care about because God knows I'm going to be unwilling to care about anyone else new. Um, and so... <laughs> be nice, James. For, sorry. Um, that was directed at the mean crowd. Right. And I, I, hopefully, hopefully, uh, I'll, I'll just hopefully say we've, we've, you know, when airing our frustrations that people will will still get that impression from the tone of our voice that we're not... Again, we're not mad at anybody who dislikes the film. We just we just want to talk about it. And when it comes to Snoke, for me, ultimately, I don't have a whole lot to say about Snoke other than this. One, whether he gets a, whether he has a backstory or not is irrelevant to the sequel trilogy. I'm more than happy to learn more about him, James, as you said, through the comics or the books, but I think we pretty definitely will learn more about it. Like, like at the rate the books are coming out, there's going to be a Snoke comic in the next 10 years. Probably. And I will read it because I'm I'm interested to know uh, how, how he came to be. But if I never found out, would I really care that much? No. And the reason for that is because within the sequel trilogy, Snoke is a couple things. He is story fuel for Kylo Ren. He's the obstacle that Kylo Ren has to overcome in order to progress as a character. And I found it to be thrilling when... In that throne throne room scene, which is one of the greatest moments in all of Star Wars, period, where Kylo Ren ends up becoming the manipulator, you know, and, you know, and he kills Snoke. And we don't have to go back over that because we went over that whole scene uh, in the last podcast. But but Snoke exists as as story fuel for Kylo Ren, the, the death of Snoke propels Kylo Ren into new uh, 
territory. And that is what is important to take away from the existence of Snoke if you're looking at the sequel trilogy in a vacuum. I also think that Snoke is a symbol. Snoke symbolizes a relic of the past. He symbolizes this this relic, this dark side user of some kind who still admires the, the Sith and the way they did things. He's got an obsession with Darth Vader, much like Kylo Ren um, had for a time. And he was hoping that Kylo Ren would be this new Vader. And uh, Kylo Ren found out that he didn't want to be that at all, uh, it would seem. And uh, he dispatched a Snoke uh, as promptly as he could. And, and, and I think Snoke, like I said, I think Snoke is a symbol and in, in that film of, of, a, of a part of the past that the force itself possibly is even trying to break away from that, that false dichotomy of Sith and Jedi and, and two polarized camps and there's nothing in between or outside of it. Um, and so for me, <laughs> Snoke actually accomplished, um, what I think he should have accomplished within, within the story itself. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that term story. I feel like the, the, the story has to tell us what these characters are like. What was Snoke in the, the, the force? What was Snoke in the force awakens? You know, he was just, this is the vague person that was giving orders to the first order. Like, and then, and then looking at the Last Jedi, the Last Jedi is the only film where he's actually a character. And like, what does it tell us? You know, it's he's this incredibly arrogant guy who's trying to set himself up as a new emperor, and Kylo's having none of it. Kills him. Like, and he, what he is, he's the, he's the character that's pressing, uh, keeps bashing Kylo down and keeping Kylo, you know, on the ground and keeps pounding on him. And you know, Kylo can only come into his own if he can rise up and take take you know take out Snow. Like. That he's he he is the catalyst for Kylo's character arc, mm -hmm. so like that is his function in the story. The story that's what the story tells us. Like you can't come to the the film, say like that cool guy. You know what? I think he's gonna be this for the story, and then watch the film. Like oh my gosh, he wasn't that for the story. This is a bad. Like he was wasted. Like no, the story has to tell you. Like same with Fast. Like the story has to tell you what this character's place in place is. Fast's place is to be an antagonist to Poe. Nothing more. Like the the story has to define this this people's purpose, and the story gives him a powerful purpose for Kylo Ren and nothing more because he doesn't have any purpose outside. Or, or he's also the he also the, you know the the leader of the first order, and you know he's a primary antagonist until he's off. But like outside of that, he doesn't have any purpose because the story simply doesn't need him any more than that. Like 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 Johnson came in. It's like okay. I have Luke on an island. What can I do that's, you know, surrealized with that? I have raised the question of raised parents. How can I do that in a way that comes back to Ray as a character that doesn't feed outside speculation, that doesn't serve fan theories, that doesn't serve the, the uh, that, that isn't just world building. That, that, what does it mean to Ray? Like, same with Snoke. Like, what can I do with Snoke that is dramatically relevant to this film? Nothing more. And that, that, that's like basic good storytelling. And, Sure, I, I want more Snoke. Uh, you know, I'm gonna. I want a TV. I want him to show up in Resistance. I, I want more from him. 
just as like I love that the prequels came in and gave us a bigger Star Wars, but I didn't need the prequels to love the, the original trilogy was perfectly functioning as is because all the characters were there only as much as they needed to be for the story. And all of this, all, like, all of these characters have to serve one single story. It can't, we can't tell every character, every tiny side character's backstory because that's not what the story's about. I guess if we wanted The Last Jedi to be three hours or three and a half hours long, you know. You know, we could have told every single person's backstory, but that expectation is so unrealistic. And it comes from we've had Star Wars for for, like, for 40 years, like or 50, yeah, like 40 something years. Like we've had Star Wars all this time and we've had constant, steady, slow build. Like the, the, the universe has just grown and grown and grown and grown. And we have all these books and all these comics like we can't have that all out of the gate with every new film. Like the new films are going to come out. They're going to be a crazy singular adventure. And then the fandom is going to build around all the comics and all the books and all the games and, you know, tell and widen out the story. But that doesn't happen out the gate. These films will just be the story of the film. They're not going to tell us everything right out the gate. That's just just the way film works. Like if you expect that from a film, you're going to always be disappointed. I think a good final point to discuss is is this, this claim that the fan base has never been more divided. And like that, that is, the Last Jedi and Kathleen Kennedy's greatest sin is dividing the fan base. And yeah, I would say that's true. The fan base has never been more divided. But the fact that it's divided is a huge step in the right direction <laughs> because with the prequels, you know, aside from, you know, they, were, they did have their fans and the other kids liked it. But however, the consensus for a long time was prequels are terrible. George Lucas, you know, George Lucas destroyed the franchise. Like that was, that was the consensus. If you proclaim yourself as a prequel lover in most film forums, you would have gotten bashed. But the fact that ha- at least half, I, 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 I believe that it's, it's more positive than that, but at least half of the fandom embraces and loves The Last Jedi and loves the new Star Wars. And the, and, the, and, and the majority of the critics likes it and likes new Star Wars. Like, that's a huge step in the right direction <laughs> over where the prequels were. Like, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad, it's, a, it's kind of a false statement to say, or not a false statement, it's a it's very illogical statement to say it's bad because the fan base is never more divided. This series has fans right out of the gate, and that's a huge step in creating a more a more positive fandom than we were at te- you know twenty years ago. Right, and I, I want to, I don't know about you, but I want Star Wars to have new fans. I want to bring more fans into into this universe that that we love, and and when you do that, you're gonna you're there are gonna be fans. Longtime fans that are going to be disappointed. Yeah, in some a, a divided fan voice is far preferable to a unified fan boy, fan base that hates what they're what they what they're supposed to be fans of. Like this is this is a good direction to go into. It, there's a lot. Now, you're going to counter if you're in a lot of Star Wars groups. You're going to see a lot of revisionist history. There are people who will outright reject the idea that the majority of the fan base disliked the prequels or that there was even the consensus that these are objectively bad films. You didn't see even a speck of enjoyment. Yes, people, the initial reaction, you know, we've got the videos of the people walking out of the theater saying they loved it. Okay, yeah. As soon as that ended, you can trace back any review written at the time. You can look up videos. You can even ask your friends who aren't going to lie for the sake of making Disney look worse. <laughs> people disliked them there wasn't a shred of enjoyment until revenge of the sith revenge of the sith came out and people were like well that was at least tolerable 
I mean, you saw people come around. People, you know, they thought this is something that we can tolerate. You know, well, at least there was some good elements in that. You saw that with Revenge of the Sith. It got like well received. I think it's a seventy-nine on Rotten Tomatoes. People were like, okay, that's okay. That's what this should have been. And they almost used the good of Revenge of the Sith as ammo to attack the the first two films. Or a lot of and people it, still hated Revenge of the Sith. Like that was yeah. And there were still people who who strongly disliked that. One. And so this idea that we were that fans were anything but unified. I mean, my goodness, you can go and watch watch any given show that like would frequently make pop culture references released in the early 2000s. I guarantee you every one of them at some point in some episode will make a jab at the prequels. It still happens today. Like there's still a part of pop culture today that has yet to realize that people are kind of coming around on them. And it has taken up until the last couple of years before, like for that to happen. And so, yeah, if, if we can turn the narrative around on films that were almost universally hated, it's not going to be too difficult within the next maybe 10 years for the narrative to completely shift on The Last Jedi. Yeah, and I, and I think that it's, it's ironic that some of those same folks, it would seem to me, and again, I'm being charitable here, it's just I'm, I'm repeating what I've, what I've been told. And and many of the same folks who were hypercritical of the prequels now want George Lucas back. <laughs> and I find that to be ironic because George Lucas in in interviews that I have read, in part, stopped making movies altogether because he was tired of dealing with the garbage. He, he was tired of dealing with it. it. It had exhausted him. He needed a new caretaker for Star Wars because he he just wasn't enjoying it anymore. And it wasn't and it wasn't because he didn't love the universe that he would create it. It's because he was tired of dealing with what he dealt with while developing the prequels. Yeah, there's that the quote where he talk where he tells about what the uh, what the new trilogy would have been about, and he ends with, and the fans would have hated it. Like he was well aware of what you know, his name was mud in the fandom for a long time. It, it, it was, and there are still people who curse his name, and I I can never I can't bring myself to do that because he created a a a universe, a fictional universe that is my my favorite, my favorite fictional universe that exists is is Star Wars. And um, I want to mention this really quick, kind of before we wrap up, there was an article that I read shortly after The Last Jedi came out, and there was this big uproar from from a section of the fans. And the article doesn't get everything right, but it put my mind in, I believe, the right direction. And it was an article called The Last Jedi Doesn't Care What You Think About Star Wars. And... It was a very salacious headline, and so, of course, I had to click it in that instance. And I read the entire two-page analysis, you know, by somebody who, you know, Last Jedi was fresh on his mind. He had just seen it. Like I said, the article doesn't get everything right, but it gets a lot right. And at the end of it, it, it says this, and I just wanted to mention it really quick. It says, a Luke with regrets, that's hard. That's tough to swallow. But that's what elevates The Last Jedi beyond a simple retread. 
It asks you to take these characters seriously in a way that other Star Wars films have not, to acknowledge them as something beyond a vessel for escapism. Star Wars can only matter in the long run if it's given the room to grow. And right now, it feels like the sky is the limit. Right now, Star Wars feels unsafe, and that feels great. Yeah, that's perfect. Again, you know, if you don't like that type of film, I have I have no hard feelings. I respect that. You know, you you watch the films that make you happy. Like I don't want you, I don't want you to be miserable watching movies. But you know, there, there is a there is a difference between you know what you like and what is good or bad filmmaking. Like all of us have our uh, we pointed that last episode. All of us have our preferences. All of us have the type of films we like, and there's no shame in that. But that that doesn't those there's not a one to one correlation between what you like and what is good or bad movies. All right, so let's let's really quickly wrap up. I do want to talk about the, the soundtrack because it is fantastic. Josh, um, so what, what do you think about the soundtrack overall, and were there any uh, tracks that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, uh, there are certainly some obvious tracks that stood out to me. Um, with And I'm saying, aside from the, the continuations of the musical themes established within The Force Awakens, which is a beautiful score in and of itself. Ray's theme continues to be one of the 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 great character themes, in my opinion, and I love how that's integrated in The Last Jedi. Same thing with, uh, um, you know, Kylo Ren's theme. Certainly love Jedi Steps, and I, I think there's probably a consensus on that, that that is a... Uh, you know, that that's a great track, but, uh, you know, I have to say that it's just, it's been long enough at this point that I, that I, I love the music in the film. It, it complements the film perfectly. I'm looking forward to seeing, this is sad to think about, but the, the swan song of John Williams in Star Wars ending, you know, with, with, with episode nine, but, uh, I loved the material, the new material on both the force awakens and the last Jedi. And, and beyond that, I really haven't ex- explored it, uh, too terribly much, nor have I had the time, unfortunately. Yes. The Jedi steps in the last Jedi would have been in the track Octo Island, which is was one I really wanted to add, but I eventually cut out just for a, so I wouldn't have the whole soundtrack in there. <laughs> what about you, James? Um, so there's, there's several that I really like. Um, uh, I enjoyed uh, the Last Jedi track itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that plays during like the confrontation with with Kylo, and there's just some power. Like when the the reveal of Luke uh, levitating on the on the rock, like yes. the the way the music swells there is just amazing. Um, weirdly enough, one of the ones that I just find like most interesting as a as a new addition, I've got a really weird relationship with Rose's theme, where. <laughs> I started to really dislike it because, you know, I've, I've kind of come around a little bit on the character, but I'm still not. I, I don't like the character too much, but I let that really affect how I thought of her music. And it seemed like every time I heard the music, I was like hearing a line from her that I disliked. And so I was like, <laughs> and, and so I was just associating my dislike for the character with that music. But now I like just isolating that that theme i really love it and so to anybody who still because i've actually talked with other people who are like me were like yeah i just can't stand the theme because it rose now go and listen to the father's track by itself i think it's like at minute 125 or so it plays 
listen to that theme and then listen to the the main theme for Back to the Future or the main theme for E.T. Specifically, like we hear Rose's theme throughout, but specifically within that track, The Fathers, when it plays there, it is like all of what made the 80s amazing, like boiled into one 30 second moment in a track. It is incredible and like i said it's it could fit into like back to the future or any any one of those films so perfectly um that's that's actually been one that i've going back like i've been going back to quite frequently all right so i have a whole, whole long list uh, first one is the um main title on escape it's and specifically the musical moment of page's sacrifice is really really haunting and powerful uh next one is the supremacy it starts off with a kind of a variation of the imperial march and kylo's theme and then we have like this really quiet and tentative version of Leia's theme that, uh, you know, that as they're cutting back and forth between her and Kylo and then it's silence as the bridge is destroyed. But then it comes back in like really powerful mixed in like Leia's theme mixed with the force theme as she pulls herself back to the ship. It's like this incredible moment of music that kind of is almost like like we haven't talked about that. I, I thought that seems kind of awkwardly shot. However, listening to this music and how beautifully it underlies the themes really almost brought me around to that scene just through the music alone because of the way it builds and like that. Um, then fun with Finn and Rose. Uh, then uh, fun with Finn and Rose. It's this really quiet and playful variation on the Imperial, uh, not the Imperial March, <laughs> the March of the Resistance, which is like <laughs> one of my favorite tracks. It's like this. It's like it's like you know, a very you know catchy tune, and this one's a more a quiet, playful one. I really love it. And there's Canto Bite, which is like this jazzy Caribbean music, like nothing like Star Wars, but it is really fun, like a mix. Uh, like there's a little bit of like John Williams' Adventures of Tintin's theme in there, as well as maybe a little bit of Ratatouille. It's like, it's really, it doesn't sound anything like Star Wars, but it's quite, quite fun. And then there's the Spark. It starts out really somber and nostalgic, and then it builds into like this really epic climax as Luke walks out the door. Peace and Purpose is the binary sunset. You know, I, I got to mention that. And then finally, the finale, it, which is which is over the children telling the story of Luke Skywalker. It's this really magical, childlike uh, music. It almost like sounds like something that belongs in like Narnia. It's like this wonderful childlike optimism, which I think is the best way you could possibly end a Star Wars film on. So, yeah, really great soundtrack. There's a couple more I, I didn't mention just for time, but I, I really enjoy it. And lastly, uh, what is your star rating for the film, and and uh, what is your ranking for the entire Star Wars series, uh, Josh? The Last Jedi gets a four and a half, four and a half stars for me. I to to as you all probably know, I have qualms with the movie, but uh, none of them ruin the film for me, and so you know I take away a half a star just because uh, I do recognize some flaws and have some some issues you know, some issues with the film. But as far as my overall Star Wars ranking is concerned, I at least right now have them ranked as The Empire Strikes Back, which should surprise nobody. Uh, Star Wars, A New Hope, The Last Jedi, The Force Awakens, Solo, Rogue One, Return of the Jedi, uh, Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace, and Attack of the Clones. All right, and you, James? Uh, so I give it four. Um, it's weird, like my top five, I watch in almost equal enjoyment. And I would like, so my subjective enjoyment of this would be closer to like four and a half, five. I think the problem of Haldo, the problem of Rose and the problem of Canto Bite all together is it, it it's worse than just like a half of star for me. Um, but yeah, I go, I go four stars for, for my ranking, uh, for my star rating. And then as, as far as how I rank the series, 
Um, I go number one is A New Hope. Number two is The Empire Strikes Back. Number three is The Force Awakens. Number four is The Last Jedi. Number five is Revenge of the Sith. Number six is Rogue One. Number seven is, or sorry, uh, number six is Solo. Number seven is Rogue One. Number eight is Return of the Jedi. Number nine is The Phantom Menace. And number 10 is Attack of the Clones. Yeah, so the, the Last Jedi was like it was at four stars for me for, for all this time. Then this last view, I was so emotionally invested. I thought four and a half. So, but I feel have a feeling next time I watch it, I'll go back down to four. So since I'm in that gray area, I'm just going to give it a four uh, four point two five. Uh, <laughs> and so as far as my ranking, it goes: A New Hope, The Force Awakens, Empire Strikes Back, The Last Jedi, Rogue One, Solo, Revenge of the Sith, Return of the Jedi, The Phantom Menace, and then at the bottom, Attack of the Clones. All right. Um, yeah, that was part two of our discussion on the Last Jedi. I love that we were able to like address the whole fandom. I think I think this was a great place just to close out our discussion of the Star Wars saga. I I, I fully believe that in ten years this new trilogy will be will be just as embraced as maybe maybe not on the level of the original trilogy, but like we see people coming out of the prequels. There's a whole lot less crap people have to overlook when liking this new trilogy. So I, I fully believe that you know, as we move on, this will just become another part of Star Wars that everyone loves. I don't believe this hatred and, and this just controversy and and strife in the fandom is going to last forever. I, I just don't. I just don't see that history bearing out uh, as that happening. So yeah, we will be back. Like you know, I mean, we're going to do an episode on Resistance. We're going to do an episode on <laughs> the episode nine with the guy. Like we're, we're going to be out. Uh, we're definitely going to be covering Star Wars as they come out, but for now, this is us signing out on the series, and it's very bittersweet. Ah. Uh, James, uh, you're the horror guy. What is our next series? Yes, yeah, so uh, had we not had all of these complications, we would have filled the month of October up with the original Evil Dead trilogy followed by the remake, and we still plan on doing that, but it will not be releasing in October. Uh, but that will be the next series we're going to be doing. Um, I've only seen Evil Dead 1 and 2, so I'm really excited to finish out Raimi's trilogy, and I've heard a lot of good things about the remake, so um, I'm pretty excited to see him. Uh, Army of Darkness is a is a campy blast. Yes. Uh, yeah, so that will be our October horror series that won't have a single episode in October. <laughs> <laughs> and again, real quick, where can people find you, uh, Josh, if they want to follow you online? Yeah, uh, they can uh, find me and Gabe and Jeff uh, and and Jeff uh, Norman. You you all uh, have not met him yet, but you will you will learn to love him, and 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 uh, or or else. Um, and uh, I hope he hears this because he'll laugh. He'll just think that's hilarious. And uh, James, uh, you know the three of us, the four of us are admins on a growing little fan community on Facebook called Star Wars Fans Who Actually Like Star Wars. Uh, please come enjoy uh, the Star Wars franchise with us. It doesn't matter. Emphasis on enjoy. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter uh, what you think about the 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 sequels. Um, if you don't like them as much as the original trilogy or even as much as the prequels, we all have our preferences. But the purpose of this community of Star Wars fans who actually like Star Wars is for us to all enjoy the universe together, um, to have civil discussions, um, which is why we uh, don't allow a whole lot of trolling in the group unless it's just obvious and everybody's kind of having fun with it. We don't allow... Uh, 
you know, a lot of clickbait or fake news or any of that other crap about uh, Star Wars that's been circulating around uh, the internet lately that gets people all angry for no reason. Um, and we've done that because we actually want to discuss these movies. All right. And what about you, James? Well, he covered, you know, the, uh, the big thing really as of late is the, the Star Wars group. Uh, I guess the, the other big place would be uh, Letterboxd, which is I have been putting in a lot. They're not lengthy reviews, but I've actually been taking the time to write out reviews for films that I've been seeing recently. It's a lot of horror lately. Like I said, I, I've watched, no, I, I take it back. I, I watched The Shining, Hereditary, Rosemary ba- Rosemary's Baby, and the new and old Halloween so there's going to be a lot of horror there recently. And uh, and my name on there is J.L. Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. Uh, and for me, you can find me on Letterboxd as well. I'm there as uh, Gabriel Green, and I'm on Twitter as at Gabe A. Green. And as far as the podcast, um, again, please go and give us a rating review on iTunes. And if you want to follow us on, if you want to like us on Facebook, we're there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are there as at FranchisePod, and we're also on Instagram as at FranchisePod. And if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. So, until next week, we will see you in the next franchise. See you around, kid. See you around, kid.